We're up to chapter 4, Mishnah 5. Rabbi Yochanan ben Berotra Omer, Rabbi Yochanan, son of Berotra, says, Whoever desecrates the name of Hashem, the name of heaven, in secret, he is punished publicly. It is the same if it is intentional, and is the same if it is unintentional regarding desecration of the name. Okay, so very uh, cryptic teaching here from Yochanan Broka regarding the concept of desecrating God's name. We're told, A, that if someone does that privately, in hidden, they're going to be punished publicly. And B, there is no distinction between accidental, unintentional desecration for God's name and intentional. So first of all, Rabbi Yochanan is one of the names that appears fairly often in in the Mishnah and the Talmud, about 10 times, which is, again, more than some, less. It's not one of the most common names, but appears frequently. So he's telling us essentially two things, that there is a, a concept or a, um, a sin called desecration of God's name, and it is different than all other sins in two ways. A, that private sins are punished publicly, Normally, the way you would imagine is that it would be it would be parallel. It would be commensurate to the kind of sin. It would be the kind of punishment. If someone sins publicly, well, maybe then there's grounds to punish them publicly. Whereas if someone sins privately, maybe they should only be punished privately. That maybe would be the standard for every other sin. Whereas over here, with the sin of desecration of God's name, that does not that does not apply. That does not hold true, even or maybe even specifically. Private sins are punished publicly. That's the first idea. And the second idea is that there is no distinction with respect to intent. Intentional, unintentional are the same. Now, the commentaries are going to discuss exactly what this means, and there's various different ways of interpreting these two clauses of the Mishnah. So first of all, he's telling us that desecration of God's name, when done privately is punished publicly. So there is a question in the commentaries, is this referring to the sin of desecration of God's name? Or is it a reference to a different sin that in itself is a desecration of of God's name? What we discover here is that there is a general concept called sanctification of God's name, Kiddush Hashem, and desecration of God's name, Chilul Hashem. And these are general concepts that embody the general mission of our people. Our people, the primary responsibility that we have, the big picture, is to sanctify God's name. It's to make the idea of God present throughout the world. This is what Abraham did. Abraham was the one who discovered and revealed the concept of God in the world and disseminated that. That is called sanctification of God's name. When someone does the opposite of what Abraham did, that's called desecration of God's name. In fact, the commentaries point out that the Hebrew word for desecration in this context is chilol, chilol Hashem, desecration of God's name. The word chilol also means a vacuum, a void, an absence is God present in our world or not? By default, just starting things off, no. 
God's in the heavens, and we're here, and we could ignore him. However, our mission is to use the Torah, to use our intellect, to use our lives to bring God here, to try to create as much parity between this world and the spiritual world. That is the general mission of humanity. That's what Adam, so to speak, fumbled with, and that's what the world kind of forgot about, and that's what Abraham restored, and that's what he kickstarted the Jewish nation. We're going to be the people at the vanguard of this human effort, of this fulfillment of the destiny of mankind and of the world to do Kedoshim, to bring God to the world. And when someone does something that exhibits that, that testifies to God's existence, that demonstrates that they're behaving in a way that's different than they would have behaved had that not been true, that is moving the needle in the direction of sanctification of God's name. Whereas when someone acts in a way that disregards the notion of God, that makes believe as if God is not present, does not exist, they're creating a void, a vacuum, an absence in the world as if there is no holiness, and that is a desecration of God's name. And in fact, if you look at the Rambam, when he lists the laws of the Torah in his 14 books, the first four chapters of the first section of the first book deal with the concept of theology. What do we believe with respect to God? The very next law, the first law that is applicable to us, that we have to do, which, again, it's organized topically, it's organized conceptually. It starts with the most important. The most important thing after believing in God, after the theology, the very next chapter, chapter 5, deals with the laws of Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name. Because collectively, the mission of all of Torah is to sanctify God's name. And the flip side of that is the creation of God's name. And every mitzvah that you do, it ultimately manifests itself as, okay, I'm doing a mitzvah now. Okay, I, I have a mezuzah in my house. My house is a little bit of bringing holiness into the world, bringing recognition of God in the world. Every time I do a mitzvah, I'm testifying, I'm exhibiting, I'm manifesting the idea that God exists and I'm bringing him here. Every time I do a sin, it's the opposite. I'm creating a void. And thus, every action is going to be either one of these two camps. So look at Rashi here. There's a Rashi that tells us a very interesting idea. What does it mean, someone who desecrates God's name privately? He says, this is not referring to someone who does the sin of desecration of God's name privately. In fact, the commentaries note that the actual mitzvah, there's one mitzvah of 613, which is to sanctify God's name, and there's one mitzvah of 613, which is to not desecrate God's name. So these these are also numbered within the 613 mitzvahs that we have to do. But really, they are hovering over every mitzvah. Every mitzvah has within it a component of desecration, or conversely, sanctification of God's name. So Rashi tells us, what does it mean when someone sins and desecrates God's name privately? This does not mean that they do that sin of desecration of God's name in a private manner. No. It means they do a different sin. Any sin. doesn't matter which sin it is. But they do it specifically in hiding. They say, you know what? If someone else was around, I would not do the sin. Because that person is going to judge me. That person is going to say, oh, what happened to this person? How are they sinning? 
I'm fearful of other people, but I'm not fearful of God. When someone does any sin that they would not do publicly, they do it privately, that in itself, that sin in itself is the ultimate declaration that God's not here. There's a void. If there was a human here, oh, that's real. Oh, I got to worry about that. I got to make sure that my reputation does not suffer because someone's going to judge me and see what they do. But if it's private, no one's watching. Of course, God's watching. Oh, but that, but that's, that's not real. That's not, I'm not worried about that. When someone behaves in this corrupt way by attributing reality, trepidation to humans, but not to God, then that shows that they are living this corrupt life. They're, they're, they're two-faced because only humanity, only the physical is tangible, is palpable in their eyes. God's not. And that specifically a sin publicly. It doesn't matter what sin it is. But a sin that's done privately, regardless of what sin it is, if that sin would not be done publicly, that is the ultimate manifestation of this creation from God's name. And therefore... We're told in the Mishnah that they're going to be punished publicly. So what that means is, according to Rashi, and many of the commentaries go with this angle, what it means is that someone who has this double life, all the people, they view them as being righteous. Because all they see, his public persona is righteous. The private persona is wicked. We know that. God knows that. But the other people, they don't know that. So what's the guy going to do? What the Almighty is going to do is going to make their sins public. He's going to manipulate the situation so everyone will find out their true colors. Because what would happen if no one would find out their true colors? What would happen if you see this really righteous person and bad things are happening to them? What are we going to say? Oh, this person is so righteous. Why is God doing bad things to them? That's what we may say. And thus, the desecration of God's name is going to be perpetuated. But when everyone gets a window into their personal lives and everyone sees how corrupt they really are, then it makes sense. Aha, we see now God is punishing them because they're deserving of punishment. And once again, the sanctification of God is restored. So with regards to the second part of the Mishnah, there is a question in the commentaries exactly how to read it. Because... How could we say that wanton, willful, intentional sins are the same as accidental ones? It doesn't make any sense. So the Rambam, he goes with the opinion that says that no. Of course, when someone does a sin accidentally, we still consider it a sin. That's way of the concept of sacrifices, of atonement, of repentance. We believe that if someone does a sin, it's a blemish to their soul. It's, it's a problem. It has to be addressed. But it's not as bad as a willful a wanton sin. That said, the second clause of the Mishnah, according to the Rambam, the second clause of the Mishnah is to tell you that with respect to this particular sin, both of them are going to be all, all sins are, are punished, but here it's done publicly. That's what that, 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 the only difference is, is not that, that, that the sin, sin is just as severe. It's that the sin is going to be addressed in a public fashion. That's the only inference, that's the only takeaway from the end of the Mishnah that both a willful and accidental sinner with respect to God's name are going to be publicly addressed. That's what the Ram says. Others say no. Others say a very deep idea that 
with respect to the desecration of God's name, it's not a matter of intent. Intent is not what matters. What matters is the result. And therefore, if you're creating a vacuum of God in the world, you have to be so careful about this. You have to tiptoe around so, so gingerly, you have to tread so carefully, so lightly, that it doesn't matter if it was intentful, if it was willful, if it was intentional, or if it was accidental. The way I saw one of the commentaries explain it is that if you smack a king in their face, does it matter if it was accidental or willful? Does that even matter? It doesn't matter. Because, yes, you know, if someone if someone commits a crime, but, you know, the question is, was there intent? Was it accidental? That's a question with respect to everything else. If someone actually slaps the king across the face, they say, well, I was just trying to clap. When you're at a king, you have to make sure that your behavior is completely in control. It's completely measured. One of the commentaries says this. If you're smacking the king, it doesn't matter if it was accidental. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That, that doesn't register. It's not one of the variables that are considered which is a very deep idea, which is telling us the severity of this. And like we said earlier, this is what we're here for. We're here to sanctify God's name. That is, in one sentence, our life's mission. And our mandate from the Torah and our national destiny, that is it. It's the first law that we're told that what we need to do is we need to sanctify God's name. And I want to point out, this is, it will be a disservice to talk about sanctification of God's name versus desecration of God's name by not mentioning that the whole idea of martyrdom, the idea of that there are certain things that are more important than our lives, that is couched in the terms of sanctification of God's name versus desecration of God's name. For example, someone tells me, go shoot this person or else I kill you. So we know that's one of the cases where you have to give up your life. Similarly, idolatry, adultery, these are the three cardinal sins that we're told by Jewish law that we have to give up our lives for. That is the manifestation, the ultimate manifestation of consecration, sanctification of God's name. Similarly, says the Talmud, if a heathen comes and says, puts the gun to our head and says, in front of 10 people, so there's witnesses, a very public thing, do a sin, do any sin, got to give up our lives. Similarly, if it is a time where the, the ruling power is trying to dull the spiritual sensitivities of the Jewish people, and they are deliberately trying to stamp out Judaism, then even in private and even the most minor things, like customs that aren't even rooted in halacha, for example, the Talmud says, it used to be that Jews wore certain shoelaces, and non-Jews wore different kinds of shoelaces. Again, not a matter of halacha, matter of custom. If there is an effort by the public or by the ruling power, by our overlords, to stamp out Judaism, that even something as minor as that, we have to give up our lives. Because now the continuity of the Jewish people is up in the air, and this is something that warrants what's called Kiddush Hashem, martyrdom. So this idea, again, we're, we're talking about it in the context of every mitzvah that we do, every deed that we do is going to push the needle one with the other. But the technical term or the, the, the way this mitzvah itself is manifested is giving up your life for God and not doing the opposite. If someone would commit a grievous sin, someone would do idolatry to save their lives, 
that would that would constitute a desecration of 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 God's name. However, the Rambam tells us in the end of chapter five that there are a whole host of other things that are in the general rubric of sanctification of God's name versus desecration of God's name that are not technically that, but are included within the general idea, the general concept. And that is that we have to walk around and represent our people. We believe that the Jewish people are God's emissaries in the world. We're God's ambassadors in the world. And therefore, we have to live in a higher standard. Talmud talks about a great sage who was late paying his bills. If you're a great sage, if you're someone who is the embodiment of Torah, and you're late in paying your bills, you're forcing the person who you owe money to to come back and knock on your door to go to the collections. So technically, there's nothing illegal about it because you'll still eventually pay it. But you know what? If you're on that standard, if you are God's ambassador, you have to live by that standard. You got to pay your bills in time. You have to be above reproach. You have to have dignity. Talmud talks about someone who's eating publicly, like munching on food in, in the marketplace. That's not dignified for God's emissary. Is, nothing, is there something technically wrong with it? Maybe not. Maybe yes, maybe not. But it's not something, it's not a severe sin. But if you're the ambassador of God, if you're ambassador of the United States to Finland, you're not walking around munching on a sandwich on, in, in, in the subway, right? You're not doing that. What if you're God's ambassador to the world? If you're God's ambassador to the world, are you going to walk around munching on a sandwich? No, you won't do that either. And again, that's that's part of this general idea that we have to realize what our national mandate is, who we represent, what we represent, and we have to live by that higher standard. That's part of that of, of, of the general idea. But we find something very fascinating, that this is something which is treated very differently than every other law, every other myths from the Torah, everything else we have to say, is it, was it accidental? Was it willful? Is it private? Is it public? How severe is it? And here we see this is, this is off the charts because this really gets at the heart of the matter. And I saw, just to bring it home, one of the commentaries says, this is very relevant to us, that included in the idea of someone desecrating God's name privately is the idea of Lashon Hara, evil talk. Why? Because when someone speaks evil about someone else, and then they see that person trudging along, they'll start smiling at them. How you doing? Right? They'll, they'll quickly segue to a different topic, and they're not going to continue that discussion. Again, that, well, wait, was God listening to your conversation previously or not? You're exhibiting God doesn't exist because if he did exist, why is that person arriving, changing your conversation? It's an amazing idea that what he's telling us, he's broadening this this concept. Anyone who speaks of Shonara is, in effect, according to the commentaries, engaging in this behavior of someone hiding from other people, but ignoring God when they're behaving improperly. That, of course, makes it very relevant to us. But a very, a very deep idea here that we see, if God's name is being desecrated... And that is going to filter out towards people not understanding why something's happening to a certain person. It's going to be revealed publicly what they did. And that in itself, when the wicked, so to speak, when punishment is exacted from the wicked, says the Talmud, God's name is sanctified. Because then it is public to all 
that the Almighty indeed is involved in our world and does take measures to ensure that those who are working against him, so to speak, working against his agenda, working against the Torah's agenda, that they are properly assessed, properly punished, and that desecration will eventually be removed.